Welcome to Saving You is Killing Me, Loving Someone with an Addiction podcast. Loving someone with an addiction is a life of chaos. This podcast is to help you take back your power and build strength, hope, and restore peace in your life. We use the science and art of positive psychology, professionals in their field, along with personal stories of hope, resilience, and strength. We hope you can discover how the courage to focus on you can help put your life back together. When you are in a place of exhaustion, hopelessness, and emptiness, we are a community that knows all too well the turmoil that comes from loving someone with an addiction. We are here to help you compassionately struggle well. Hey there, you're listening to the Saving You Is Killing Me podcast hosted by me, Andrea Seidel. I'm the author and founder of Saving You Is Killing Me, Loving Someone With An Addiction. This podcast is for you if you're ready to find a way to struggle well, take back your power, and live life happier while you're navigating loving or losing someone to addiction. I wholeheartedly believe that when you love someone with an addiction, your life gets damaged in some way. Since we can't control someone else's addiction, but we are greatly affected by it, the number one thing you can do is take back your power and focus on you. I believe happiness, joy, and well-being is available to anyone. So the thoughts and perspectives I share here on the show are my own and those of the guests on the show. If you ever hear anything that feels harmful or triggering, I'm pre-apologizing and I'm open to being better and value any feedback and the permission to be human. That said, always take what you love, what feels good and leave the rest. The conversations and tools I'll share here will give you everything you need to figure out exactly how to navigate addiction, put yourself first, and how to build resilience for your well-being in a way that feels really, really good. I use these tools to take back the power in my life to build my strength back up and restore peace. And I teach my clients how to create their own version of a life where they can tap into their power and restore their happiness. My goal is for you to listen and leave saying, why is this the only family or spouse support system that doesn't make you feel like you're the problem? And it feels so energizing, empowering, and uplifting thinking that you're not going crazy after all. I am here for you. Finally, please know you are not alone and you are worthy of prioritizing your well-being. So let's jump into the show. Hey there, Andrea Seidel here. I'm so happy that you're here, although I always say I wish we were meeting under different circumstances, but needless to say, I'm glad that you found the SYKM community because we are here to support you so you know that you're not alone because navigating, loving, or losing someone to addiction is so incredibly toxic, toxic. I was saying taxing and toxic together there. (laughs) It's both of those. I have such a great guest on the show. She is going to share her story of strength and resilience. And I cannot thank you enough for being on the show. Welcome Gail Ferguson Jones. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I am a I proud I'm a proud recovering codependent. Um, it's the best thing that happened to me in life. 
Um, it set me free from other people's problems, from trying to fix other people, from um, feeling responsible, from trying to control situations, circumstances, and people, and to really get to know myself and take accountability and responsibility for what's what's mine to do. And so um, you can't imagine how proud I am of that. I will tell anybody any day, I am a proud recovering codependent. Yay. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, first of all, thanks for your bravery for sharing that vulnerability and that you're actually not vulnerable about it anymore. You're like owning it. You're like, okay, I am a you know recovering codependent. And so it's interesting that you say that because initially when I heard that term or when I was reintroduced, I heard that term all the time when I was studying psychology at university, but never did I actually have that term used on me. Like when I was in the muck of loving someone with an addiction, it's like, Andrea, you're codependent, or, you know, I would be called uh, codependent or labeled that in many, many groups. And then I didn't really understand it. And I actually took it as an insult. I was like, what? Like, what do you mean? Because it was almost like I'm doing what any loving person would do when, you know, you care about someone, right? And so, you know, you support them. But I find when it comes to addiction, it throws all the rules out the door, right? Your normal, yes. typical behavior of what you would do when you love someone uh, tremendously is suddenly then you're slapped with a label like codependent. So, I like, I like how, first of all, I like how you're owning it and I love how you, you know, so I know there's a lot of listeners going, oh my gosh, what is this codependency <laughs> and what is it all about? Um, and also I love the way you put it to what's mine to do. So there's yes. so much here that we want to unpack, but let's start first. How have you been touched by addiction? Well, I, um, I, I was actually raised by a codependent mother, but you know, that's another story. I figured that out once I figured out my issue. Um, but because um, my paternal grandmother died of alcoholism, my father died of alcoholism, and just five years ago, my husband died of alcoholism. So because I didn't live with my grandmother and my father on a consistent basis, um, my grandmother came to live with us um, for a short time when I was really young in grade school. And that was, that was, oh, that was a dark time in my life. <laughs> That's when I saw up close and personal what it was like. Um, each of those people were so different and what was the same was the disease. And so the first thing that I had to learn in my own recovery is, like you said, we really are loving people and we are trying to love them into loving themselves. But we can't. We can't because the we're not dealing with the person we love. We're dealing with a disease. So we can't control that disease because they can't even control that disease. And so that's where our efforts are futile in the first place. They have to love themselves into wanting to get help. And so it turned into, for me, it turned into blame, into feeling victimized, into feeling that the world was against me. Why is this happening to me? Especially like once it was my husband, like, 
this happened to me as a kid? Is this some kind of legacy that's generational legacy that's being passed down? And um, and I felt that when I was a kid, I couldn't do anything about it. But now I'm an adult and we have children and we're both um, very high performing professionals. And we have everything that everybody admires. We're the power couple. So I can get this under control. <laughs> mm. And when I, and then I, at first my doc, you know, I recommend to people all the time, tell your doctor also what you're going through, because I was actually showing physical illness, high blood pressure, uncontrollable weight gain, um, borderline um, issues with blood sugar. And my doctor couldn't figure out why we couldn't get these things under control. And I just happened to tell her what was going on at home. And so right away, she recommended Al-Anon. She got, you know, therapists for me. And that was very important. That was very important. So um, you can't, it, you, reaching out for any help, just not holding it in, just saying this is what's going on with me and I'm in pain and I'm confused and I don't know what to do. Um, saying that to the right person is a good start toward recovery. Oh my gosh, Gail, I love that suggestion because so many of us suffer alone and um, just the stress alone, the ups and downs and everything that comes along um, with loving or losing someone to addiction is just, it's, it affects us on all levels, right? Physical, yes. our health, like mentally, emotionally. Um, and so I, that is such a good suggestion. And yes, definitely tell your doctor because you don't know the resources that they might be able to provide for you or, and also I'm, I'm tremendously, I'm just sending you so much love and hugs for the loss of your husband. And, you. um, and I, I really do admire your bravery and you just, you know, um, you turning the pain into purpose here. And I, and I know, I know a little bit about your story, but the listeners are going to hear about how you took back your power and everything that you're doing now. Um, yes. I would love to go into this idea too. And it's so interesting that you brought it up. Like it's, it's almost like we feel like it's something that we're doing wrong or we're attracting, you know, this into our life or, you know, like, am I, how come I can't control this or how come I can't love hard enough to make them stop, you know? Yes. And so that really is that pivotal moment and, and how you can be proud with the label because codependent isn't necessarily negative. Initially it sounds negative, but it's almost just owning the fact that yes, I'm a caring, loving person that's showing up in the way that someone would when they love someone else. And yes. then, and then also taking it one step further is recognizing the, in what you're saying is basically, I think is that recognizing that when you, you're trying to control something you can't control, when you're trying to fix something that you can't fix, when you're trying to love hard enough and that it's not going to make a difference. It's like we can't love them into loving themselves. And it's almost like that moment that you realize that and the moment you kind of like put yourself first and your own needs first and like recognizing, you know, that it's out of your hands. That's, that's right. when you can say proudly that like, I'm a recovering codependent because <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, it's actually not, there's no shame around that. There's so, no shame. No shame. So can you talk to us about like that idea of what's mine to do? I love the way you put it. Like, it's like, that's not mine to do or what's mine to do. Like, what is our responsibility and how do we shift that lens? Um, 
it's it takes a lot. Um, so when I first, you know, when things were really bad um, with the drunkenness and all and the, the emotional neglect and abuse, um, and I went to Al-Anon and I was still just praying all the time. I, I Again, I was putting it on God, like, God, you know, it's, this is for you to fix. And I know you're going to fix it for me. Yeah. <laughs> And so I'm just going to keep, keep loving hard, keep doing all the things, keep begging, keep cleaning, keep hiding the alcohol, keep trying to control where you go, what you do. And um, so when I was going to al at first, and we would say the serenity prayer to accept the things I cannot change and to change the things I can. Well, I... I grabbed on to that second line to change the things I can because I took that as permission. <laughs> yes. I took it, I took it in the context that I wanted to take it in. And so part of recovery is when you say surrender, that kind of thinking is what I had to surrender. No, that's not what that says. That's not what that means. I had to surrender. You're still trying to control things, Gail. You have to surrender that. And so um, along the way, I heard about Melody Beatty's book, um, Codependent No More. So that was my introduction to the term codependency, because at first that sounds as if we're sharing in their disease of addiction. And we actually are, even though we're not the users. We actually are. We're the enablers. We're the ones making the excuses. We're the ones getting them together to go to work. We're the ones keeping them from behind the wheel of the car. You know, all our focus. And that, that was what was making me sick. The doctor explained to me that's what was causing my blood pressure to be high, that hypervigilance. And so then um, I always wanted to try meditation. And, um, well, I'm going to back up a little bit and you know, this part of the story. So one, um, one, one holiday, um, my husband and I were going to Cabo San Lucas, Mexico on vacation. And at this point, we, the whole family, he never drank around us anymore. So we thought he wasn't drinking. He traveled a lot for business. So Apparently he was drinking, but we didn't know it. So we get on the plane and um, I live on the East Coast. So Cabo is like five hours, a five hour flight. Two and a half hours in, he starts having seizures on the plane. Oh, and it was the scariest thing I've ever been through in my life. So they make an emergency landing in Houston, Texas and land us and get him into ICU. And this was not the first time in ICU. And I'm stranded in Houston. I I don't know. My, our luggage goes on to Mexico. And then I find out we have to be there for five weeks. They're going to put him in a in, uh, an induced coma. So anyway, so I got him in, in rehab during that time. And after he came out of the hospital. And um, within a couple of weeks, his counselor called me and said, he's leaving. He's checking himself out. And if he leaves now, he's going to die. Mm -hmm. And that sent me into a mini breakdown. The next day, the next morning, I could not get out of bed. 
I heard this screaming and didn't realize that it was me. And I was pinned to the bed for an hour or so, just unable to move except to turn my head side to side and just tears and just feeling. But so that's my rock bottom moment. And that's the moment when I remembered all the things I learned in Al-Anon and I decided to surrender. Oh my I let it go. I let it go. That's when I let it go. And I know for a lot of the listeners, you know, they might be at that point as well, or they might be feeling pretty exhausted and sad and just um, depleted. And I was there many times as well. And um, it it is so, it, nobody understands that unless they're in it, like the build up and build up and build up of stress, disappointment and frustration and worry, worry alone um, is just, you know, it has its toll. And, um, and like you said, we almost do share, uh, you know, I, I don't like the language sometimes of we're told we have an addiction, but at the same token, we are sharing in that addiction in that we are affected by it. And because we are rightfully, you know, rightfully so, so we're caring for this person, right? Yes. So it's so confusing, like it's so confusing. And so can you tell us, you know, in that moment, right? Like what was your biggest struggle with loving someone with an addiction? Well, you know, um, the good thing was I had told my doctor ahead, you know, years before. So when I finally got to the phone, I called her and she got me in right away. And she, she actually said she knew this was coming. She said that she thought that I might go before him. I mean, she really saw <laughs> the sign. So she was relieved. So that's when I decided to go to CODA. So I decided, okay, this is not me. I can't, uh, you know, it was embarrassing. Nobody else knew. Nobody ever knew until I wrote the book. So nobody knew what happened except my doctors. And she, she, and then I found a really good therapist who specialized in it and was just right for me. The, the same employee assistance program that helped me get my husband into rehab, I called them back. So they knew my situation and they found the exact right therapist for me. And so then um, I talked to her about doing meditation. She didn't know much about it, but she supported everything I wanted to do. So um, Deepak Chopra at his center in San Diego, he was doing an emotional healing retreat. So I went to that and it just calmed me and we sat in the silence and I just meditated and it was just five days of just, oh, just, just exhaling. Catching your and breath. Just yes, catching my breath. And we started journaling. And so when I came home, I made meditation and journaling my daily morning routine. And in my in my journals, which sometimes I share with people I coach as a, a certified peer recovery coach, I just start writing what I wasn't going to tolerate anymore. It depends on what was happening the day before. I stopped fighting against what was going on at home, what was said, what was done. I had my meditation practice first thing in the morning and my journaling practice. And I would just say, you know, this is not my responsibility. 
I'm not, this is who I am. This is who I don't want to be anymore. This is how I'm going to do things differently. This is how, and so there had been, you know, chaos and arguing and fight, you know, you get caught up and I was being gaslit and everything. And I would think I was losing my mind. Mm-hmm. Now I wasn't feeding into any of that. I was just letting it roll off my back. And I had let, I had surrendered and let go of control and things got really peaceful at home, even though he was still doing what he was doing. It, it thing, all of that, no more gaslighting because I wasn't open to it anymore. And because I stopped enabling and because I stopped policing somebody else and because um, I let go of the fear and the worry when I would go into meditation in the morning. And so, you know, I start out with these guided meditations, um, CDs from Deepak Chopra. And um, and I got to a point within a year or so that I was able to give those to another friend. I told them those are my meditation start. That was my meditation starter kit. (laughs) And so um, from there, um, that's when I went to Codependence Anonymous and really what I loved about that was that the focus was on me. In Al-Anon, it was still about the uh, the addicted person. Mm. In Coda, it was about me. I had to examine my heart, my soul, my behavior, my thoughts, my attitudes, and I got to get to know Gail and take responsibility for Gail. And how and learned how to um, respond and not react. That's very that's one of the most important things I tell clients. How important that is to within myself, even if I didn't do it with the other person, respond instead of reacting. To me, that's one of the most uh, effective tools of recovery when you're, um, especially when you're the loved one, because. Um, the user is going to try to get a reaction out of you. The disease is going to try to get a reaction. That's how it keeps you off kilter. Yes. That's how it keeps you, you know, coming back and trying to do more. That's the manipulation. Yep, they're trying and to push so, your buttons. <laughs> yes. And so I wrote in my journals, I'm not going to be med- I'm not going to be manipulated anymore. And I just every day. Just simple sentences, nothing fancy, no poetry, just simple sentences. This is what I see that I need to fix in me. So that's recovery for me. So beautiful. And I always ask my, my, the special people that come onto the show, sharing their strength, like, how did you take back your power? And I'm really hearing strongly and loudly and clearly that it came to a point where you just wanted to stop fighting against it. Like no matter what was going on in your life. And it was like, instead of fighting against it, you surrender, like surrendering for you was the moment that really not necessarily a moment, like micro moments of constant surrendering. That's right. 
and that helps you move away from the policing and, and making sure you're not feeding into things and letting go of that fear and worry. And some of the tools it sounds like you used is this journaling and journaling out. It doesn't have to be fancy poetry. I love the way you put that, just writing it out. Like I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. This isn't how I want to be. And just getting it out. And then the meditation. Yes, you're so right. You can start anywhere. There's so many examples of guided meditations. And I even recorded one in this podcast group as well, so that people can have at least that one there is just, you know, getting started with, it doesn't have to be, you know, this elaborate meditation practice. It can just be coming into your senses and just, you know, and then just, I love the way you put it. So you could catch your breath. So you could just exhale, like, like what we go through, right? The stress and the turmoil, um, it's so essential and so needed. So I'm curious. So the listeners are like, I want that. I want to surrender. I want to let go. I just can't. Like, it's just so hard. Like, it's like, so how can we do that? What do you suggest? I know you've made a few suggestions such as journaling, um, making the decision, seeking out support, telling your doctor, reaching out to therapists. Um, and, and the other thing that I noticed you're talking about is that there's no one quick fix for anyone, right? Like there's the, oh, yeah, no. Al-Anon's a great place to start. Um, it's also Coda is great as well. And then off, you're speaking my language with this whole idea because SYKM, that's what it's all about. It's about that's you right. and not your addicted loved ones. So um, where, what else can you suggest? Is there anything else that's coming up for you? Well, you know, um, a big part of that also was looking looking at my husband differently and and that may sound that was something that happened organically it wasn't because once I started focusing on myself but that's when I accepted like my mind went back to my grandmother and my father and then my husband that they're not bad people because and they're not actually doing anything against us. They're doing it to themselves, kind of, you know, they are. So when I started looking at him differently and I started looking at myself differently, I was able to let him take responsibility for himself also. Mm. Uh, it no longer was my responsibility it was his responsibility and I put faith and he could do it or he could choose not to. I understood that just the way I made a choice, he could make a choice. It wasn't for me to force it. And that is so important because I no longer felt like a victim. I didn't feel the need to blame um, which is, it, that's a heavy weight to carry, actually. Mm. You know, I was victimizing myself, actually, <laughs> you know. And, yeah. and you know, it looks like love, but it's really fear. It's really fear. Ooh. And the fear is real, and it's for a reason, because it is a life and death situation. Yes. And so, you know, alcoholism is progressive, it takes longer to kill, but it does kill. Um, substance abuse kills immediately, but alcoholism is a progressive disease that um, it, it'll kill just as shortly. So you, I felt like I had more time to try to fix it, 
But it, what we think is love, like you say, we we want to love the person. We're told that you're supposed to. We are conditioned to believe that self-sacrificing is what we're supposed to do. But then suppose suppose I went down before him, then I didn't do him any good and I didn't do myself any good. <laughs> so self-sacrifice um, doesn't help. I, I needed to be strong for myself. I needed to affirm my own value. That's another, I have pages and pages in my journal, that initial journal of affirming that I had value of my own. I had my own worth that I was putting all my my hopes and and you know looking into him like he's valuable and devaluing myself. And that was important to understand. That didn't I didn't get a divorce. I didn't leave, but everything just changed. So I didn't abandon the person because he had a lot of health issues by this point. But um, I was able to be at peace with my decisions for myself first. Mm, I love that. So you just started to look at your husband in a different way and almost, you know, and we often call it loving from a distance. It's like the love is still there. It's just shifting. It's like um, that it's really like you don't have control over their addiction and these are his choices and you know the what he wants to do and some people would argue that once it becomes an active addiction do they actually have a choice but it's his behavior that is affecting you but it's almost looking at it from the lens of a bystander and which is hard in many ways because you're watching the person you love disappear and you know go down that downward spiral and it's interesting is that I remember the time um when I was was with my addicted loved one, I actually changed his name in my phone to drugs talking. So wow. what that did for me is that it made me realize like he's not the person I fell in love with isn't in there anymore. Yeah, and right. so that buyed me a bit of space so that I'm, I could just be like, okay, so I, I could like exactly what you said is so I could more respond instead of to react and be mad at him. Like, where did you go? Where's the person that I love? Like, you know, like what'd you do with him kind of thing? It's like, it's like drugs talking. Yes. It automatically put me in a place where, oh, here we go again. And then it was yes. easier for me to be Greystone where I would not respond, uh, sorry, not react. And then I would just more be like, okay, yeah, I see it differently. I was able to stay in that calm place um, and just almost surrender. And then I love how you turn the focus back on you. And the other thing you did is um, writing in your journal, affirming values. I always recommend this to my clients as well. And um, it's a huge part of building our self-efficacy and self-worth. And yes. it's part of the, our resilience program to get yourself back. It's like remembering the value that you bring this world, remembering who you are and um, tapping back into your strengths again. So I love that you brought that up and just journaling it, right? And that is, you know, you said something too, it was all about... um, it looks like love, but it's fear. It's so true. Like we're trying to act in loving ways, but really we're maybe scared of what's going to happen or what, what could unfold. And that's so, that's such a powerful statement as well. Yes. You know, the other thing that I, I make a point to clients too all the time is that we can't be concerned about what others think. That's another thing that we keep ourselves trapped wondering, well, if I detach, I'm detaching with love. But other people are not, they're going to think what they're going to think. 
Yeah. Like, yes. are they worried that you're abandoning them or how dare yes. you, you know, when they need you, need you the most, you're like stepping away. It's like, well, wait a second. You actually don't know what I'm going through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because family and friends, yes, they will. So I learned not to draw them in either. I stopped complaining to other people. Uh, you know, that kept me as a victim and kept me blaming and um, really putting the focus on myself. Yeah, I think speaking to that whole idea too, sometimes we're fearful to love from a distance or to surrender and lovingly let go because we feel like, and I know I felt this too, it's like, am I letting him down? Like, am I like, you know, he needs me right now. And like, and yes. so it was such a push and pull scenario. That's why it's so hard and so confusing. Yes. When you love someone with an addiction, it's like, you know, so I would be there for him. But at the same token, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's so hard to be there for him when I just put up with the abuse that I just put up with. Yes. You raise, yeah. You raise such an amazing point here. This whole idea of abandon, like that we're we feel almost like we're abandoning them. But um, self-sacrifice, how you put it, self-sacrifice is not healthy. So no. sometimes we're sacrificing our own well-being for someone else. And um and I think that a lot of that fear comes in and that's why maybe we stick around longer than we should or maybe we get more yes. into the muck of the the addiction. Yes. Yes. And and you know, there's a little bit of that um because we're women, we're kind of also societally you know, made to feel that self-sacrifice is our role. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. There's a little bit of that in there too. <laughs> yes. But I, I mean, and it's the people pleasing element, right? Yes. So, but you, I always say, and there's a reason why, you know, the cover of my book, when you squint your eyes, it's like the cover is saving you is killing me, loving someone with addiction. When you squint your eyes, all you see is saving me. Like I wanted to make yes. that, that's what this is about. It's like about saving you. And yes. um, I really feel like the theme in how you took back your power is this idea of surrender. And even to the, I love how you surrender, even to the vulnerability of owning the label. I'm a recovering codependent. Like I'm okay with that. Right. Yes. It's like, I, I surrender to that. I surrender to that. So, and you've given us so many wonderful, actionable nuggets for the listeners. So I'm curious, what has been your biggest lesson through all of this that you'd like to share? Oh, my biggest lesson was that even though I grew up in church and all, um, the 12 step um, notion of surrendering to a higher power had took on a whole new meaning for me. I understood it doesn't mean whether you call it God or whatever, you, or even if you're agnostic, to understand that we have intuition. We do have um, higher thinking and we ignore it. <laughs> we ignore it and we, we don't trust it. And um, that it's not, it's not magic. It's not magic. So even like me um, seeking out to learn meditation or to journal, that didn't take magic. But that was actually me surrendering to my higher power to do that. It's really simple. It's really that 
the answers are already there. And when I was enabling and codependent, I wasn't listening to that inner guidance. I was trying to do it myself. And again, like you said, surrender. So when I surrendered to that, I didn't, I, before that, I didn't recognize it. I just thought that God was going to step in and, you know, just make things right because I was a good girl and I was doing everything right as a wife. And my husband used to say, you think you're so perfect. And I was like, uh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is such a good message. I, I really love that you bring this up because I am a very spiritual person, but I don't fall into one religious category. And, um, and so sometimes with some of the programs, that is what was hard for me is like, okay, I'm turning this all over to God, but like, you know, or the universe, it's like, it's almost like, well, what magic are you going to make for me? Because I need a miracle here. (laughs) But I love that you bring it up because it doesn't matter what religious category you you're in. It's almost just tapping into this empowerment or this spirituality where you're almost giving up struggle in and and um letting go of the possession of struggle so to speak it's almost this idea of surrender and but also taking action like you you join those meditation classes you you know journaled every morning you you were active in your life but also um letting go and trusting um in the support and that that inner voice that you're talking about so whether that inner voice is wherever it's coming from right we all have that uh inner voice that knowing that inner knowing is what you're saying and I I I just so appreciate that you bring that up because oftentimes that voice is Mm -hmm. speaking to us but we're not listening we're not listening we're not listening and what happened for me is that I have been praying for a miracle for him before then when I surrendered to that higher power I became the miracle my life became the miracle. My thinking became the miracle. So it wasn't even the miracle I was expecting. <laughs> but um, but I'm able to own that now. Like, wow, I'm talking to you right now on this podcast. This is a miracle. <laughs> Yay. And that, yeah, that's so awesome. Because that brings me to actually the podcast that I just recorded was about hope. And this idea of hope is that sometimes we're like, I hope he gets cleaner. I hope he gets sober. Or I hope he'd stop gambling or like whatever it is. Yes. But really, and then we become hopeless when it keeps going around that roller coaster or that like merry-go-round. But really, if we if we really tap into what hope is, hope Hope is actually for our own selves, for a better future for ourselves. So that's kind of what you're saying here is what I'm picking up on. It's like, it's like, I'm praying for a miracle for them, but it's actually like, actually, and then like, it's more for a miracle for yourself. It's like taking back your own wholeness and, and that inner yes. knowing and that inner voice and that guidance system that's within. Oh my gosh, Gail, you're yeah, absolutely so <laughs> many wonderful nuggets. So you know, if there was one final message for the listeners, what would that be? To not be afraid to ask for help, to not be afraid to recognize that the help is for you. You can't control, you know, the help is for us. I'm one of those people that believes recovery should be for everybody. You shouldn't have, you don't have to have this problem. (laughs) There's something we all can recover from. 
Um, like I said, just all the areas of my life where I recognized myself that had nothing to do with this situation with an alcoholic husband, um, that I just became a better person. And I thought I was pretty good before, but I just became a better person for myself. Um, I just have grown so much as a person and grown so much spiritually, um, a better friend, um, it just in every way, um, do it for yourself. Do it for yourself. It, it can't hurt. It's not mandatory. You know, we want other people to make a choice that we're not willing to make for ourselves. We want the user in our, in our lives to make a decision that we're not willing to make for ourselves sometime. It takes us a while to get there. And so I, that's another thing that I realized, wow, I want him to get recovery, but I'm not, I'm sitting in Al-Anon mad, <laughs> mad about being there. You know? Oh my gosh. So, so true. Um, well, they're yes. not seeking recovery and you are. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. you. I'm trying exactly. to clean things up here. So. But it was the right thing for me to do. It really was. Don't be afraid of therapy. Don't you don't have to tell all your family and friends. You can reserve some anonymity, you know, do it for yourself. Do it for yourself. Yeah. And, and then be willing to support them if they make that choice. Because I do have clients who will not no, I'm not gonna go to the sessions with their with their drug and alcohol counselor, because they're just going to blame me. And there's nothing I can say to say to say, that's not what it's going to be, <laughs> you know? So if you really want them to get help, you have to be willing to, to be a part of the process also. And help yourself surrender. Help yourself. Surrender. That's part of surrender. That's right. Do it for yourself first first oh my gosh thank you so much gail ferguson jones for being here and i know okay so you have to share please 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 share your book like what you're doing right now because i know people are going to want to get a hold of you of course i'll put all the links in the show notes but please let us know you know how you turn this pain into purpose and everything that you're up to these days so um i wrote a book that became an amazon bestseller and it's about my experience with my three loved ones. The book is in three parts. So the first part is my actual experience with my family. And the second part is we, what we discussed today is um, my recovery, my, my road to recovery, um, which has included, even before my husband died, traveling the world. I mean, just so many things happened, starting a podcast, getting mm -hmm. trained as a peer recovery coach, um, and helping others, which was something um, I wasn't interested in doing before. I, I kind of thought people were full of baloney. I didn't understand. I just didn't. <laughs> Um, you know, I just admit stuff now. That's the other thing. That's part of my recovery is rigorous honesty. Yeah. Yes. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't as tender. I really wasn't very tenderhearted and caring like that. And so now um, I'm available to people who want help. Not, I don't try to force anything on anybody. I'm not an evangelist about it. 
but um, I do share my story freely and I do try to inspire. And so the third part of the book is um, helps you find whether you may be a, a codependent. Oh, that's hold the book up again. I'm going to take a screenshot. I know the people on the podcast can't see it. So I'll share it with the group. Yay. Awesome. So that's incredible. So I will put all your links in the show notes as well. And I'm so excited for you that you turn that pain into purpose and you're, you know, being of service and you, you are a coach and everything now too, as well. And nice. I know people are going to want to get a hold of you. And I cannot thank you enough for all your support here and your ideas and, um, your messages of strength and hope. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I was, um, I just been following you on recovery today for so long, by the way, I didn't mention the name of the book. It's oh, yeah. called, but <laughs> that's the most important part. <laughs> it's called butterfly rising, a journey to love, healing and freedom from the cocoon of codependency. Oh my gosh, it's so good. The cocoon of codependency. Yes, it pulls you into a cocoon. And also your podcast. The podcast is the Butterfly Effect Podcast. And that's B-U-T-T-R-F-L-Y, Butterfly Effect Podcast, um, Stories of Recovery, which I'm changing now to all about recovery. But it's an interview show um, with former addicts, with with family members, with therapists, um, everyone who's had been touched by this, um, codependency is a illness. It's, it's an emotional, um, illness. That's what I would call it. Yay. Well, I'm so grateful for the service that you're providing and the support that you're really bringing to this world. And I'm so grateful for you being on the show and I can't wait to be on your show. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. I can't either. (laughs) Thank you so much, Gail. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you want additional support, you can head on over to our website at savingyouiskillingme.com, where we have a wonderful, supportive, compassionate community. We are here for you. You are not alone. We also have a private Facebook group and Instagram feed called Saving You Is Killing Me, Loving Someone With an Addiction. Be sure to subscribe here so you get the latest episodes. And of course, share this with your community and your support groups or anyone that's going through this struggle so we can all work together to take our lives back and restore joy. Thank you so much for joining me, not only today, but week after week. Although I wish we were meeting under different circumstances, I'm so grateful that I get to show up for you and share these episodes so that we can go on this journey together. Until next week, sending hugs.